Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet, prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will, be, will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David has said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has risen this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. This is the word of God. Thanks, Rebecca, for reading that long passage. And if you have your Bibles uh, with you, please do open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 as I go through um, this passage. Um, 
I uh, one of the things that I hope to do in the from the uh, pulpit in the sermon is always to preach the message that's in the Bible and not something that I think was good to say um, that week. And I would love uh, for you to go down with me and check um, as as I go down, uh, as I go through this passage, to see if this is really what the Bible teaches us. Um, Let's pray uh, as we come to this text. Lord, we give you thanks for your living word. We thank you that it is living and active, that is sharper than two-edged sword. And we thank you that it has the power to shape us and create new life in us and bring us in deeper love of you. And we pray that this morning, as we come to this text, that you will make these text, uh, this text come alive and touch us, that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we put a lot of uh, effort to celebrate new beginnings, don't we? Weddings are a celebration of a new beginning. Inauguration of a president. I, remember, I still remember watching the President uh, Obama's inauguration uh, in London, how big that was. It starts with this great pomp and circumstance. When kings take their throne, uh, it's, it's with great fanfare. And most recently, uh, we had an uh, enthronement service for Bishop um, Kwok, uh, our new bishop in the Diocese of Eastern Kowloon. And we had overseas guests, people dressed up in different, uh, in these magnificent clothes, trumpet and timpani, trombone, and large banquet. It was with this great celebration, a new time began. Well, 2,000 years ago, on the day of the Pentecost, there was a great beginning. Um, Holy Spirit came down in, with the blowing of a violent wind. And tongues of fire and disciples who were gathered there started speaking in different languages. They started proclaiming the wonders of God in this miraculous manner. And when this miraculous thing happened, some of them asked, what does this mean? While others said, these people are drunk on wine. Well, what does that mean? What did it mean? Today, Peter gives an answer. Peter stands up and starts speaking. Because, you see, miracles by themselves isn't enough of a testimony. It's not being a witness if we just have the miracles. By itself, it's just an extraordinary event. Changed life. I know many of your lives have been changed because of Christ. But changed life by itself is just changed life. It doesn't uh, proclaim um, the works of God. It doesn't proclaim Christ. What these people ask, uh, good works as, as, the, as necessary as they are, um, aren't enough to get people to come to know Jesus. These people, um, these get uh, thing, uh, people to ask, what does this mean? And when people start asking, what does that mean? We need to be able to give an answer for that. And Peter gave an answer on that day, and that's what today's sermon, Peter's sermon, is about. And Peter might be thinking of this moment when he later writes the famous passage in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, uh, asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. But what should we say when the opportunities come? What should we proclaim um, when these people ask? Well, this is what this sermon, Peter's sermon, was all about. Well, Peter stands in verse 14, 
and says that uh, it's only nine in the morning, and even the drunkards don't drink that early. Instead, Peter explains that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I think uh, the first point is coming up. Since he's talking to a Jewish audience, he actually quotes from the Old Testament quite a bit, actually three different passages. Later on, we'll see how Paul, when he's talking to Greek audience, he doesn't actually mention a lot of things from the Old Testament. It's because he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He quotes from the Old Testament, three passages. The first passage that he quotes is from Joel. He says, this is a day, the day of fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, the beginning of a new age, verse 17. In the last day, in, in, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter says that this is, that day, 2,000 years ago, the Pentecost day, was the beginning of these last days that Joel prophesied. And he says the evidence of that is that people were filled with the Holy Spirit and they started prophesying in different languages. People heard the wonders of God in their own language. He says, this is the beginning of these last days, these extraordinary days. And this age began because Christ rose from the dead. He went to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. And that's the next part of his sermon. It continues in verse 22. Men of of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And he says in verse 23 that they, the people there, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. But he says, according to God's plan. It wasn't wasn't an accident. God had preordained Christ to die. But also because he was going to uh, be raised up again. Once again, he speaks from a passage of the Old Testament, this time from Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and verse 27. There David says, You will not abandon, abandon me to the realms of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Well, he says, although David is the one who wrote this psalm, Psalm 16, this can't have been about David because David died. His body decayed, and he says, you know this because his tomb is right there. This can't be about David, even though David was the one who's speaking. He says, Peter says, that was about Jesus. It was about Jesus. Peter declares in verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. And then he goes on to say in verse 33, that he ascended into heaven, this risen Jesus, Receive the Holy Spirit from the Father, and he's the one who sent us the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And of course, now Jesus has that authority because God made him Lord, one who has authority, the who is the king. And that's what the third quote was about, the third quote from Psalm 110. Uh, That's quoted in verse 34 to 35. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemy's footstool for your feet. Once again, Peter says, that can't be about David. Lord said to my Lord, who's the second Lord, he says. He says, that's Jesus. God made Jesus our Lord. And he concludes in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
When we interview uh, for uh, apprentice, apprentices, um, every year for the last three years we've uh, done this, we ask the same question to everybody. It's a simple question. If you have three minutes to tell somebody the gospel, how would you tell the gospel um, to those people? It's really amazing how actually people have such a hard time answering this question. How would you share the gospel in three minutes? What is the gospel? Well, often people talk about themselves, what God has done in their life, and it's a great thing. And people, some people have really interesting and powerful stories. I know people whose lives have been literally saved from the brink of death because of Christ. Saved from depression or addiction. People who have been healed from cancer and other diseases. God does these things. And somehow, some people talk about their life before and how they've been transformed by Christ. And how, what they live for now. These are all powerful. But, I want to say, that's not the gospel it's uh, good to tell these stories, but we need to get, um, and, and they're useful, but we need to think of ways to go from our story to Christ's story, to point from our stories to the story of Jesus Christ. Because what we are bearing witness to is not ourselves, what God has done for us, but we are bearing witness to Jesus, what he has done for all of us, and how our life fits into that larger story of God's salvation of the humankind. There needs to be an objective element to our testimonies, that we are bearing witness to the story of Jesus how God has created the world, how God rules the world, how we have rebelled against him, that we have sinned and fallen out, how Jesus came to rescue us. He lived and died and rose again, that he will come back to judge us, that there is forgiveness of sins to all those who trust him. That is the message that saves people. That is the gospel that we need to tell. And if we don't do this, then our testimonies can degenerate it into subtle form of self-advertisement. This is how Chris Wright puts it. I just love it. We point to ourselves. It suddenly becomes about us, not what God is doing all around the world. When one only talks about their amazing healing ministry, what God has done through them, and how God has rescued them, they can still have the focus be on them. The listeners can walk away, uh, not knowing exactly how their story fits into overall story of the gospel because they didn't learn anything about Christ. They didn't learn what God has planned for all of us. Chris Wright, in his book, uh, The Mission of God's People, um, asks us to uh, ask this question. When people hear our testimony, do they go away thinking, what a wonderful story that person has? What an incredible experience or do they grasp in amazement at the wonder of God, the beauty of Jesus, and the glory of the gospel? In our witnessing, in our telling people about the gospel, do they walk away going, what a wonderful experience they have? What a wonderful story they have? Or do they walk away thinking, how glorious is Christ? How great his love for all of, for all of us. How great his salvation plan for all of us. Crucially, we have to be asking, have we told them about Christ, what it means to be saved by him? Or have we 
talked about how God fit into my life. On that day, 2,000 years ago, church grew explosively. 3,000 people were added to the number that day. And that wasn't because Peter had an extraordinary story. And Peter did have an extraordinary story. He could have talked about himself, couldn't he? He was a fisherman. He, sp- he just spoke in a different language. He saw the risen Je- I mean, his life was turned around. But the message that brought salvation to the 3,000 people was message about Jesus. He became a witness on that day to Jesus Christ. He pointed to Christ. Are we ready to give an answer? Are we ready to give an answer? Are we ready to be a witness? Have you thought about if somebody asked you, in three minutes, how do you explain the gospel? Have you thought about how you would go from your life story? Because that's helpful. That's a good thing to tell. But have you thought about how you go from there to Christ? Because that's what we need to do. I know that telling um, the story of the gospel is very difficult, especially because telling the good news of Jesus Christ also means telling the bad news of Jesus too. Well, bad news that's involved in the gospel story. And we're on the second point. Peter makes it clear that the gospel is only good news because there is bad news. And he does not shy away. He does not pull any punches from saying these things. Think about the good news of the inauguration of the last day, the, the, the uh, Joel uh, prophecy. The first part of that quote is just simply the good news. In these last days, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will receive the Holy Spirit. This is something that they could have only dreamed of. But Peter goes on. See, the last days mentioned in verse 17, he will go from the last days, these last days, um, to uh, verse 20, the day of the Lord mentioned in verse 20. And see the bleak imagery that's involved in the day of the Lord, verse 19. Wonders in the heaven above and signs of the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Blood, fire, billows of smoke, darkness, blood are all mentioned there because the day of the Lord that Joel mentions is the day, the last day. It's the day of judgment. This is the same Peter. Peter does the same thing again when he quotes verse 10, when he quotes from Psalm 110. A passage names Jesus as Lord. Remember, he said, Lord said to my Lord. And said, this is, uh, Jesus is that Lord. But then the rest of Psalm 110 is not good news. The rest of it shows how God will make God's enemies of the Lord a footstool. If you read the rest of the psalm, it's not pleasant. It talks about how God will crush the kings, of the, uh, kings on the day of his wrath and how he will judge the nations heaping dead upon the dead. What this means is that although grace is offered to all of us, regardless of what we've done, regardless of our age, regardless of um, our ethnicities, um, that uh, this extraordinary grace is offered in these last days. But God is also a judge, and Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. And all, all the people who refuse to let Christ pay for their sins... All those people who reject Christ will pay for their sins on their own. And, you know, 
Joel calls that day glorious too because it shows God's justice, God's righteousness, and his refusal to let the wicked go. There will be punishment. And Peter does not shy away from that difficult message, does he? And listen to how directly Peter speaks um, to the Jews of his day in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It doesn't get any more direct than that. You killed Christ, he says. A lot of people in our culture think that loving means never telling a person that they are wrong, that they have sinned. Loving means never bringing up judgment, hell. But you know that that isn't the case. That isn't the case. You know because many of you are parents and you love your children. And because you love your children, you punish them when they do wrong things. And we know that because we have experienced that, 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 that sort of love. And if we have information that can save someone from a car crash, and we don't tell that person to look out for that car that is coming, I mean, how much do we have to hate that person, to withhold that information from that person? Of course, we can do this in the wrong way, and we do this in the wrong way in many, many, uh, many times in our life. Because truth can be used to hurt people. Truth can be used to set ourselves apart and have this self-righteous attitude. When we argue with our spouse and children and point out their faults to hurt them, we do that. And truth hurts even more because they're true. But Peter isn't doing that here in this passage, is he? He's not being judgmental. When he accuses them, you have killed them. It's the opposite. He wants them to be saved. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He calls them brothers in verse 29, brothers and sisters. He knows that he's one of them because he was the chief apostle who denied Jesus three times. He knows what he had done. He knows how he ran away. He knows how Jesus went to the cross for him as well. He knows how he came back. Jesus came back from the dead and reinstated him. He knows that love. He wants people to come to know that love. This is why he tells them about the judgment that is coming. And look how Luke describes his words in verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He warns and pleads. He pleads. He wants them to know that his heart would break if they didn't come to know Jesus. So here's the challenge. Do we give the whole truth of the gospel when we share the gospel with others? Or do we take out the difficult bits of the gospel story? Do we tell people that there is a a, a creator Um, There is the king whom we rebelled against. Do we tell them that there is sin? That Jesus will come back? And the the story of Jesus coming back, we confess it in Nicene Creed every week. And this is something that the Bible emphasizes again and again. Jesus came as our savior, but he will come back as our judge. Do we tell people that there will be judgment in the end? That God cares about how we live now? The things, sins that we commit now, do we let people know this? Do we let people know about the cost of following Jesus? Or do we pull back? And what's our attitude when we do this? Do we do it with tears in our eyes? 
Can we see um, that people, we too are people who have experienced this grace, that we do not speak as a judgmental preacher on our soapbox, but as a fellow sinner who have been rescued. The gospel of truth isn't something that we use to lord over others. Truth is something that we use to warn and plead with others. But, if we, but we must tell the whole truth if we are to be loving. So ask yourselves, which truth am I have? Do I have a hard time telling others? And how can I train myself to tell others this, the, 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 the bad news that's in the, in the Bible? as well as the good news. And how can we tell, what's the attitude um, that we should be telling this with? And of course, when we tell the whole story of the gospel, it really is an amazing story. It's an amazing offer that God gives to all of us. And look at what's offered. People, will, people were cut to their hearts. They turned to Peter and asked, brothers, what shall we do? We're in number three now. Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Stop identifying themselves with the, with the corrupt thoughts and communities of this world and to begin to identify themselves with the new community that the Spirit is forming and identify themselves with his death and resurrection and baptism. And to those who do this, to those who turn to Christ, is offered an amazing gift. Verse 38. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of of the Holy Spirit. In 1986 movie Mission, uh, Rodrigo Mendoza, um, played uh, by Robert De Niro, was a slave trader who captured uh, Guarani Indians to sell um, for slaves, as slaves, uh, for money. In a fit of rage, he kills his brother, and he's stricken by guilt, and he just sort of wastes away uh, in a cell. He refuses to talk to anyone. He refuses to eat things. And a Jesuit priest, Father Gabriel, sees his guilt and asks Mendoza to come and join him on a mission uh, to set up a missionary outpost among the Guarani Indians, uh, the, the people who he used to capture to sell. He reluctantly agrees, but then he asks to carry this burden with him. And you see him carrying that burden with him, filled with these heavy things, um, as a way of reminding himself of what he has done, as a way of paying penance. And so through this jungle, through this craggy rocks, and through even up, uh, he, they have to climb this uh, a waterfall, he carries this massive uh, a, a bunch of heavy things with him. And after weeks of traveling, they finally arrive at uh, the Korani Indian village. And one of the Indians, when he sees Mendoza, comes running after him with a knife. And he looks piercingly at Mendoza, um, who had captured so many of the Guaranis, and he raises this knife. And just as you think that he, uh, Mendoza has met his end, the man unexpectedly cuts Mendoza's burden and the penance off. And there's this moving scene of that burden rolling down um, uh, the, the cliff. Peter had just told the Jews that they had killed the Messiah, the Lord and Messiah. They were cut to their hearts, but instead of asking them to carry that burden with them throughout their life, he gives them 
a way of forgiveness of sins. He takes that knife and cuts that burden off. He says, repent and turn to Jesus Christ because you will receive forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the good news of the gospel. The forgiveness of sins. No matter what we have done, even if we have killed Messiah, all the things, all the sins that Christ carried, he forgives us of our sin as we come, as we turn to Christ. And not only that, he sends us the Holy Spirit. And this is the amazing thing about that. Um, this, is the, this is something that people in the Old Testament only could look forward to. Remember uh, how Moses went and, and said, could I see you face to face? And, and God says, you can't see me and live. You can only see, I'll show you the back of my face. And he sees God's glory. Moses, uh, Moses sees God's glory from the back. This is the privilege that we have. Something that Moses didn't have. Something that Joshua didn't have. Something that Abraham didn't have. Something that they always look forward to. And Peter will say later on, this is something that only angels even long to see. God came down in Jesus Christ, but also God sends himself in the Holy Spirit, and we can have the Holy Spirit. Not only do we see him face to face in Jesus Christ, we can have his presence with us now. And he sends himself to those people who had just killed him. He sends the Holy, Holy Spirit himself to us sinners that we might have fellowship with him. That's the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive this forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. So what do we say when people see our changed life and then go, what does that mean? Why have you changed? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you go to church? Why do you do, good, uh, do, uh, do, you do these good things? Are we ready to give an answer? Have you thought about how you will point to Jesus Christ? That is what, what we mean when we say we must bear witness, not to ourselves, but to Christ that he came to die for us, although we have killed him, although he will come to judge us for our sins on that terrifying day of the Lord. In these extraordinary last days, extraordinary days of grace, that everyone who turns and calls on Jesus Christ will be saved, and that he, will off he offers forgiveness of sins and spirit to all those who turn to him. Could we just take a moment? Um, let's pray on our own uh, for a few minutes. Just think about what Christ has done for you and how your story fits into Christ's story and how you might go from your story to tell others. And I'll um, end in prayer in a few minutes. Paul will write to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of guarding the truth of the gospel. Thank you that you have given us the amazing message of Jesus Christ, the power that saves all people. 
Send your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the power of your spirit that we might become your witnesses, that we might speak of the amazing grace that you have shown to us. Help us to think about how we can share this story with those, of, uh, those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.